It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. only 40 degrees here in Kansas City. But if you're a fan of the Texas Longhorns, 40 degrees is not a bad place to be in right now because it's in Kansas City. And, of course, that means the Texas Longhorns are still playing in the NCAA tournament. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Now, I would tell you that, you know, normally we also tell you you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can do that. You can find us on Twitch. But Twitch this morning would probably only uh, show a shot of an empty studio. You see, uh, Jeff Howe is on his way up here to Kansas City in advance of tomorrow night's NCAA tournament opener between uh, Texas, and uh, and I say opener, it's actually the second game of uh, the Sweet 16 session. Houston-Miami will be the first game. Texas uh, playing in the Sweet 16 against Xavier tomorrow night. So Jeff's on his way up here. Our, our producer is Cameron Parker. He is uh, back behind the glass at home. It, it, did they get the, uh, the Twitch camera thing fixed for the uh, producer booth? Are they able to see you, Cam, if, if folks are, are tuning in to Twitch on that? I don't have it formatted for that. Um, usually I just leave it off when both you and Jeff are out of town. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. Because like I said, it'd be an empty studio otherwise. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that sort of thing. But see, they could look at you. They you could. Know? Or we could leave they it could. on. We have like a dog cam because we have about four four different pups up here with between Oreo and Wade and in Lou. So, you know, it could be half me, half dogs, and then the voice of Craig and Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, and uh, I kind of like your idea about the dog cam because those are three of the most affable canines you'll ever come across. You have Wade, who's the largest of the three. What what, what breed would you say he is? Oh, I don't know. I'm not good with dog breeds. He's like, a big boy. Yeah, he's he's kind of like mainly lab, I would think, but he's got something else in him there. He's kind of burnt orange color. Then you got – then, then you got Lou, who is uh, Patrick Davis's dog, and he did all the genealogy on that dog. And he's got about 22% pit bull in him, but he's got so many other parts of other dogs in him. He's got such a real genial nature. Then you got Oreo, who is about the size of a real Oreo. I mean, he's he's just a little dude, but you know why he's called Oreo when you see him. It's kind of like there's the layer of cream in between the, uh, <laughs> the two layers of cookie there. He's a black and white, so... Uh, they they regularly are, uh, you might say, tenants of the premises. So it'd be good, yeah. If we had a if we had a dog cam, that would work on a day like today. But anyway, uh, I'm up here at the Longhorns Team Headquarter Hotel in Kansas City. Team got here yesterday and um, just kind of settled in. Uh, there was a dinner last night uh, at a uh, uh, downtown steakhouse that it's very very uh, close to. I mean, you could practically throw a rock and hit the uh, T-Mobile Center from. It's down in the Power and Light District. Uh, they had team meetings last night. Uh, there's study hall session going on this morning. And then uh, they will head over to T-Mobile Center this afternoon for press conferences and a closed practice. So we'll have that. It's a little bit different than how it is like for first and second round of the NCAA tournament because you have eight teams and they wouldn't be able to give all eight schools the full hour and a half on the floor. There's just not enough time in the day to make that work out unless somebody's you know practicing late, late at night. Nobody wants to do that or very, very early in the morning, and nobody really wants to do that either. So uh, that's why they just give each of the teams 40 minutes on the floor 
to do uh, to, to mainly just to get used to the rims and to shoot around a little bit, and 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 then all of the eight teams then go out to either a local high school, a local community college, or or a four-year school, and uh, and work out at those facilities. When the Longhorns were in Des Moines last week, they had uh, one I think one full practice at Drake University. They had a shoot around on uh, game day on Saturday over at Drake, and then they also had a practice, I think, at uh, Handel University there. So whether it's Division Two, Division Three programs or whatever, and they've got they've got that set up as well uh, th- where they would uh, have some work done at the community college where they did when they were here two weeks ago and won the Big 12 tournament. But today, uh, when you're down to four teams, you can slot it to where those teams have a full – hour and a half on the floor and those practices are closed uh, as opposed to those sessions those 40 minute shooting sessions that are open practices for the public so they don't have those open to the public as closed session so that's what they've got on on tap today we have their practice and uh, press conference and uh and then uh they'll have uh the the closed practice like i said and so they'll work on all of that coming up here at the bottom of the hour in our Longhorn Notebook uh, segment, uh, I had a conversation with Christian Bishop last night. And it was after dinner, and we all got back to the hotel. And he and I sat down. I think um, I think Christina's posting a photo of that, uh, of us just uh, chilling, hanging out and talking uh, when we got back to the hotel last night after dinner. And uh, I even, I think, put it on my Facebook page as well uh, this morning that to, to let folks know we were going to have this conversation. So it's, it's coming up around the bottom of the hour. And it, it encompasses several different things. One, uh, I think folks might find it interesting to hear what a player's personal regimen is, especially at this time of year. They've played 36 basketball games. There's all the off-season work that goes in, the individual work, then the team drills, the full practices that start, you know, in the fall leading up to the start of the season. Then, of course, they have the season opener, which was all the way back on uh, November 7th. They had an exhibition game against a team, which, by the way, is in the Sweet 16, Arkansas. And, um, and then they opened the regular season on November 7th. And then throughout the holidays – and we also know about obviously the uh, the sudden change, the jarring shift of things that happened with the dismissal of Chris Beard and with Rodney Terry taking over as interim head coach. He was acting head coach for a while, and then when the decision uh, came down that Chris Beard would not be retained, uh, then uh, Rodney became the interim head coach. And I know there's an awful lot of conversation about this. Dick Vidal tweeting and. Uh, you know, uh, there's a great deal of conversation about why hasn't the university made an announcement yet? Now's Penn State and Cal showing interest, and uh, I think they're still trying to stick to the plan of the single-minded purpose of getting ready for a basketball game. And I know, and I, and I heard Aaron say this that CB mentioned that if they didn't want it to be a distraction, it is now. CB, I would tell you that. This team is in its own cocoon. It's in its own bubble. And this is not to say they won't be asked about it. I'm sure the players, both the ones who are designated to be in the press conference today and the ones they, they also have an open locker room portion for the players who aren't designated for the press conference, and I'm sure they'll all be asked about it. And I'm sure Rodney Terry will be asked about it. They're all quite aware of all of that and I think they'll say hey look you know we're just we're playing we're going for we we heard what the players said uh, in the excitement and the jubilation of beating Penn State the other night afterwards so we heard what Dylan Dussue was saying and Timmy Allen and all those guys and Jabari Rice and so um, I think uh, they'll be you know directed and dialed in but as I was saying with regard to this Christian Bishop conversation uh, I talked to him about his his workout regimen and some of the stuff it just yeah, I mean, all you have to do. I don't know how you feel about this, Cam, because you're you're in much better shape than I am. But just the mere mention of the words "polar plunge" 
just – I think that's the way he described it. Uh, the, the ice bath stuff and then the, the, all of that just – yeah, I, I I don't think I can handle it. Are, are have you done one of those before? Are you good with that? I haven't. I'm more of like a sauna guy. I'm, I can deal with the heat, yeah. cold. I, I could yes. probably spend about ten seconds in an ice bath, and I, I would. Yeah, out. yeah. I'm the same way. I'm not. I'm not about the cold stuff. You know, uh, Linda and I talk about this a lot. She likes cold weather, or not. You know, not like ice storm stuff, but she likes it when it's chilly and cold and sweaters and stuff like that and build the fire and all that sort of thing she she likes all that stuff i'm like nope uh i'm good with 80 <laughs> you know i just i just am i it, but but uh with regard to his workout regimen and his conditioning to help him through the course of what is now 36 basketball games in the books all the practices all the individual workouts, all the conditioning and training, all of those things, you worry about the phys- you wonder, if not worry, about the physical conditioning of these guys and how they are at this point in the season. So well, that that's part of it. Uh, clearly, I, I also asked him about another factor, and this is why I wanted to visit with him. We're in Kansas City, uh, and and Christian Bishop is from Lee's Summit, Missouri. That is just to the east of us, about 15, 20 minutes away, uh, maybe 25 minutes uh, you know, from the downtown arena because I asked him to, de- to, to describe how far away it was. And uh, he had somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, around 20 family and friends at all three Big 12 tournament games. So he was trying to make sure he got enough tickets for everybody taken care of. And so he's facing the same challenge again. Uh, this week. So I talked to him about that, about coming back to his hometown area, because this is where he was from before he started off at Creighton, and then, of course, transferred to Texas. And then, of course, obviously I asked him about Xavier. Uh, and, and the closer we get to this game, and I find this is an, an interesting comp, but I can see it. But the, the closer we get to this game, the more I'm hearing folks describe Xavier not as a poor man's version. After all, this team is in the Sweet 16, and the one you're comparing them to is not. But a slightly different version of Kansas in that they have offensive weapons, that they can beat you inside, they can beat you outside. Um, I, th- I think Kansas probably guarded the basketball better this season than Xavier's, at least up until the second half of the Arkansas game, second round. But uh, you, you hear those types of of comparisons made. So anyway, we'll we'll address those topics with Christian Bishop coming up around the bottom of the hour. We do have Inconceivable coming up this hour as well. And uh, and then uh, next hour we'll shift and we'll uh, we'll continue to talk obviously about uh, the uh, basketball matchups here and the NCAA Sweet 16 overall uh, and and the regional semifinals and regional final Sweet 16 Elite Eight, uh, because they do begin tonight at two of the four locations, Madison Square Garden in New York and uh, also at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. So we'll uh, take a look at those. However, we will also uh, have a look at the week in college baseball because it's a um, it's an important weekend for the Texas Longhorns. It's an important weekend in the Big 12. It's an important weekend for Texas State going on the road after taking two or three in their conference series, opening series last weekend from then 25th-ranked Southern Miss. And the national scene and our good friend Ty Harrington, who uh, you can hear him every Tuesday morning on with uh, Bucky and Aaron. I asked him if he'd pop on for a few minutes here because Ty's going to be on the uh, broadcast of all three Longhorn baseball games this weekend against Texas State. So Ty will be on. And uh, he'll he'll be on with us. Uh, Roger Wallace and Ty will call tomorrow night's game. So he'll join us in the second hour as well. So we'll we'll do that, and um, and uh, we'll ask Cam will keep an eye on the uh, Specs text line at three three seven three seven seven six. If you have questions about that, three three seven three seven seven six. Here was a question, and I was and I meant to ask you this. About a month ago, Cam, and uh, 
because we were doing something in the 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 uh, on the show and the conversation about uh, cars came up, and I totally forgot to ask you this. And then I heard Bucky and Aaron this morning. They had a good conversation this morning about cars and people's favorite cars, and that's what with uh, the Camaro being phased out as a gas-powered version of it. It's going to come back. Dodge is doing the same thing uh, with the uh, Charger, and th- and there's a I'll I'll have an item on that coming up in Inconceivable. But um, they were asking about first card, and they visited, of course, with our friend uh, Rodney Rodriguez uh, and uh, good old revved up Rodney with uh, revved up racing, and and, uh, you'll be able to catch him throughout the course of the weekend with the NASCAR event going on at Coda. And I think he said his first car was a 1975 Chevy Monza. I remember the Monza. It was a pretty pretty sporty little dude. And that's when I think some of the car manufacturers were going through a little bit of an identity crisis because if you remember – about those those vehicles back then, there was the Pinto and the Chevette, and there was uh, the Chevy Vega. My, one of my brothers had a Chevy Vega. One of my brothers had a Ford Capri. Uh, and uh, my first car was a 1966 Chevy 2 Nova, three-speed on the column. You change the gears on the steering column. And... Uh, and, and I played a bit of golf back then as a teenager, certainly far more golf than I play these days. I'm lucky if I get three or four rounds a year, and, and, and those are almost always just when I'm on vacation. But uh, I, I was playing on a golf course right after I got that car, and I found the broken shaft of a driver that someone had actually tossed in a trash can in one of those wire trash baskets out near a tee box, this was in North Carolina where I was growing up, and I was a uh, junior in high school. And I found that, and I fished it out of there, and I had an idea. And I took a pair of pliers, and I pulled what was left of that shaft out of the driver head. And so there was a hole there. Then I took a drill and, and bored out the center of that thing and stuck that driver head on the gear shift. And I called it my driver. And uh, so... That, that was my first car. It was a 1966 Chevy 2 Nova 3-speed on the column. Transmission fell out of it on the way driving back from Myrtle Beach after high school graduation, and I hitchhiked the remaining 185 miles back home. But that's another story. Uh, and ended up towing it home a couple of weeks later. Left it in a two-hour parking space and uh, came back with my dad uh, two weeks later, and it was still sitting in the two-hour parking space. And we, we towed it home. But Cam... I was going to ask you, I mean, you're, you're a far younger man than I. In fact, I know exactly how much younger you are, but I'm not going to go into that detail. But uh, what, what was your first car? Do you remember year, make, model, that whole thing? The same car I have now, 2010 Ford Focus. <laughs> Did you get it brand new? No, it was actually uh, a salvage. A salvage? Was it really? Uh-huh. I'm I'm gonna drive it until the wheels fall off, the the transmission falls out. I'm I'm gonna drive sure. that thing till it is dead. Well, they're they're good car. My son, uh, my youngest son, has a 2012, um, I believe, uh, Focus, and I bought it for him to have a car to use at college. I bought it for him from my son-in-law and daughter when, when my son-in-law was stationed. Uh, in the uh, army in Italy, they bought the car brand new, had it shipped over while he was there, and they drove it all over Europe. I mean, this is a car that's been on pottery excursions into Poland and and things like that. Well, uh, then they brought it back, and then they started having kids, uh, and they needed larger vehicles. So I bought it from them, and then um, and then had. Uh, my son Jason drives, and he's been driving it for gosh, three years, four years now. So, uh, so it was it was a 2012, and it's still it's still going. So they're not they're not bad cars if you keep them maintained, that's for sure. And and obviously that makes me feel a little more aged and thinking about your first car being a 2010 Ford Focus. Uh, but anyway, uh, all right. So uh, as I mentioned, it's 40 degrees up here, and and last week or two weeks ago when we were here for the Big 12 tournament. The weather was awful. It was not good. It was just in the 20s to 30s, uh, just murky, gloomy, foggy, kind of like how it is today and how it was yesterday when we got in here. And it it rained 
had some freezing drizzle when we were here a couple of weeks ago. They're calling for that tomorrow. Uh, today's just going to be cloudy throughout the day, and it's going to be a high of about 50. Tomorrow, they say it's a 70% chance of rain. So it could be like that. But then Saturday to warm up and Sunday be cloudy but a little bit warmer. So if the Longhorns uh, do advance, if they do win tomorrow night, then they'll have a little bit better weather. Of course, the game's inside and uh, in, in T-Mobile Center, and that's a – uh, that's a nice thing, and you don't don't have to worry about weather with regard to that as opposed to outdoor games like baseball. And I know there was a little bit of concern about the possibility of rain in the greater Austin area and how it might, could, or would affect not only Longhorn baseball tomorrow in the Big 12 Conference Series opener for Texas, taking on Texas Tech, but also Texas softball is opening Big 12 Conference play. They, too, are playing Texas Tech. And those games are scheduled staggered, and that's for, for television purposes. The uh, the game at McCombs for Texas softball is uh, is scheduled for 4.30 tomorrow afternoon. And the Longhorn baseball game against Texas Tech is scheduled for 7 o'clock tomorrow night. It's a little bit different time frame than what normally is. Normally it's, it's uh, you know, home games, evening home contests are normally 6.30 p.m. first pitches, 6.30 in the evening with the first pitch. Uh, it's pushed back 30 minutes, and again, that's to accommodate the Longhorn Network telecast because they're showing softball at 4.30. So if, if the weather holds, that'll be the plan for that. The Saturday game uh, for Texas baseball is at 2.30, and the Sunday game is also at 2.30. And uh, you'll be able to hear all the softball games, of course, on 105.3 The Bat with Andrew Haynes calling uh, those contests. And then, and then, of course, uh, Longhorn Baseball this weekend. The game tomorrow night, Roger Wallace will be joined by Ty Harrington. And, I, and again, Ty will be with us in the 11 o'clock hour to preview not only what's going on with Texas, but also we'll take a look at the national college baseball scene. He stays very dialed in to what's going on across the country. So we'll, we'll do that coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Okay. What we're going to do is uh, when we uh, come back, uh, we'll get ready for our Longhorn Notebook, and we'll uh, have the conversation with Christian Bishop, and uh, we'll uh, we'll bring that to you in our Longhorn Notebook uh, s- segment of the program. And then, of course, we have Inconceivable coming up later on this hour. Okay, so we've been talking about NCAA tournament. Don't forget about the All-Stat Bracket Challenge. I know your bracket's busted. Mine's busted, too. I've got one Final Four team left. That's Texas that I, that I picked to go to the Final Four. Uh, the, the the other three teams I had headed for the Final Four are out. So, right, everybody's bracket's busted. So that means maybe you still have a chance. Somebody's got to win, right? So check Horn FM right now, hornfm.com, and see where you stack up in the All-Stat Bracket Challenge. Uh, we're talking not only bragging rights, there's a 55-inch TV on the line, thanks to our good friend Tom McKay and audio-visual consultation. So, again, go to hornfm.com and see where you stack up in that all-stat bracket challenge and uh, see if you're still in the running on that. All right, coming up next, we'll have our Longhorn Notebook, and we'll uh, hear my conversation with CB, Christian Bishop, when we continue here with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. is like the tower on the horn that's the uh beatles cover of the original wilbert harrison classic kansas city obviously paul mccartney on the voice there i think that came out on what was called the beatles six album roman like roman numeral six and uh they altered the lyrics a little bit with that it's a little more up tempo i in fact i'll have cam uh Hit us with the uh, with the Wilbert Harrison original uh, coming up sometime next hour. But oh, always enjoyed this. It is one of the few songs. There's 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 a few, but not there's one of the few songs where uh, you'll actually hear me say I like the other version better than the Beatles version, and that's partially because 
it was the Beatles songs that were covered by so many others, but they covered this one. They were uh, early rockers, obviously, late 50s, early 60s, before they exploded on the scene with a lot of their own uh, original things, like I Want to Hold Your Hand and She Loves You and all of that in 1963. Uh, but they were already you know, playing standards like this. At the uh, at the time. All right, uh, we are in Kansas City. Longhorns have a practice today, and uh, they continue their preparations for the Xavier Musketeers. Speaking of which, but well, and before we get to it, Cam, I did say you'd be keeping an eye on the Specs text line at three three seven three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. How about your first perusal of the text line this morning? Yeah, one of the first texts that came in was asking about, wasn't there a close scrimmage against Houston in the San Antonio area earlier this season? Yes, there was. There was. And that, and, and the key word there was close. They had a close scrimmage. Those, those NCAA-sanctioned uh, close scrimmages, um, you know, no fans can go. Media can't go. It's just the teams, uh, you know, and their, their coaching staff and I guess their training staff. And the way a lot of those work is – the team will go out in the morning and say they'll they'll play against one another like a full 40-minute basketball game from like 10 a.m. to noon. Officiated, clock, scoreboard, the whole bit, but nobody's seeing it. And they'll do that and then uh, break for lunch, come back and work on some drills against one another. And so the coaches find it very, very uh, instrumental and, and, and very, uh, very helpful. And I remember when Texas used to play a Division II school occasionally in the exhibitions. I remember Rick Barnes saying that, you know, they don't, they don't really help us as much as we need to, but it's, it's a, a way for our fans to come and see us play when they would play those Division II uh, or Division Three teams even in an exhibition. Uh, you know, last year the Longhorns uh, had an exhibition game against Texas Lutheran because Texas Lutheran was coached by the lifetime Longhorn Mike Wacker, and that was part of you know Chris Beard's Unite the Family campaign and, and wanted to honor him and brought brought him back. Uh, but uh, And they had a close scrimmage last year. And so even in those days when uh, Rick Barnes was coaching and, and they would have uh, an exhibition game, they also had close scrimmages. They had two or three years consecutively – where they scrimmaged Gonzaga in a close scrimmage and did it like in Denver or Phoenix. They would meet at a, at a, a different area, a neutral site area, so to speak. And both coaches, both Mark Few at Gonzaga and Rick Barnes, found it very, very instrumental and, and helpful. And, and I know Rodney Terry feels the same way, and Chris Beard felt the same way, and that's why they had a close scrimmage um, against Houston. And then they had that exhibition game against Arkansas, and the whole reasoning behind that was – they needed, or at least the folks who, you know, handle the game day operations for Moody Center, needed a dry run, if you will, before the season opener and the official debut when Texas played UTEP on November 7th. And that's why there was the Arkansas game on October 30th. Uh, I will tell you this, I, because we did broadcast that exhibition game against Arkansas. The Arkansas team that was on the floor that day, and the Arkansas team that I saw on the floor last Saturday against Kansas are vastly different teams, mainly because of the young guys have stepped up quite a bit. Anthony Black, we knew about him, obviously, out of Duncanville and what he would do. Uh, and so uh, he's played very well, and they've, the, the, some of their parts have been have made them very, very dangerous. And Eric Musselman knows how to get his guys ready for work as well. So it's a little bit different. If, if Texas and Arkansas should wind up facing each other in the Final Four, which would be the semifinal – if it works out that way, if Arkansas beats UConn uh, tonight and then uh, and then beats either UCLA or Gonzaga uh, in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four and Texas beats Xavier and then beats either Houston or Miami to get to the Final Four and Texas plays Arkansas, uh, there'll be a lot of uh, talk about that exhibition game way on back. But, you know, like I said, Arkansas is quite a bit different team back then. All right, now – uh, oh, was there another was there another question on the uh, specs text line? Do we yes. have another question there, Kip? Yes. Circling back to our our pup our pup cam. Um, yes. Stanley Laurel asks. So, who is the owner of the dog that crapped in the studio? I don't know that it was any of those three dogs, was oh. it? I don't. I don't. I know. think it was someone else that brought another dog in over a, a, on a weekend. 
Is. And just sat there the entire weekend. Okay. Yep. Bucky so didn't the weekend even shows. <laughs> okay. It happened on one of the weekend shows, apparently. That, that This is what I was told. That it apparently happened. Someone brought in a dog. Uh, it wasn't one of the th- three mainstays. Not to say that those dogs haven't actually left a calling card at the radio station before. I think that has happened before. But in this particular instance, it was not one of those three. It was a dog that somebody had brought in. Uh, uh, it was a guest or somebody on one of the weekend shows, and that guest brought in his dog, and the dog uh, left a trademark there, and it was really close to where Bucky sits, and he never noticed it. I mean, it sat there. Obviously, it happened over a Saturday or Sunday, and Bucky did a whole show on Monday without noticing it. And, you know, <laughs> the guy walked in after that and was like, what is this? So that's what it wasn't. It wasn't any of the three that we, uh, the the regular occupants who who roam the hallway. So there. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's let's move on to our Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. See if Aaron can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that's to get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is, after all, who the person who can make that 10-day home loan approval guarantee a reality. Check her out on the web at BowersockTeam.com, B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, BowersockTeam.com. Okay, as I mentioned, the team got here yesterday, and um, it was just to let – I like to let folks know a little bit what, you know, what it's like sometimes – uh, traveling with the team, it isn't always as smooth and and seamless as you might imagine. Uh, yesterday, the team boards a charter flight, took off pretty close to on time, landed in Kansas City, pulled up the the plane pulls up to where they would disembark, and then we all sat. And the reason was there was the the, the airport where the team flies into is not. The, the airport, the major Kansas City International Airport, the one that's way up, you know, north of town. I used to joke that it's pretty close to the Missouri-Nebraska uh, state line. It's I joke, but but still, it's pretty far up there, like 25 miles north of town. And uh, but they don't fly into that one. There's the the older, original, more downtown airport uh, is close by to downtown. It's just on the other side of the Missouri River. Uh, just north of downtown. And normally, when the charter planes go in there, it's pretty quick and easy. They get in, they get them off the bu- off the plane, get them on the bus, and they go in. However, where they landed with this particular uh, charter flight, another team had come in. I think it was Miami. I was trying to see looking out the window, and I thought I saw black warm-ups with green trim, the only team that has green in its uniform are the ones that are playing here this weekend is Miami. And I thought that's what I saw. I, could, I couldn't say for sure. But there was another charter on the ground, and they were rolling the stairs over there. It turns out on that side of the airport where those charter planes landed, there was only one set of those portable stairs, you know, when you disembark from the plane and go down. So they had to wait for them to get that all the way down. And then I think it's an FAA regulation that they started putting fuel into the aircraft. And when you do that, you have to have the steps there just in case something happens and they have to evacuate the flight crew. So we waited and waited and waited. And it was almost an hour before the team finally got off. But they did. got off, got loaded on the bus, came over to the team headquarter hotel. Uh, It was basically drop your bags in the room. Maybe you got 10 to 15 minutes to unpack and then head back downstairs so they could – uh, make the dinner appointment. So they did that, and uh, and then after dinner came back uh, over to the hotel, and they had a meeting uh, last night, uh, which is pretty normal for them. They'll they'll have a meeting after after dinner, and then uh, and then in the morning more of that. In addition to in this particular case, uh, some academic time with study hall time going on as well before they get to the practice time this afternoon. And so after the meeting last night, when the players came out. Uh, Christian Bishop sat down with me, and uh, we had a had a little chat for just a few minutes and talked about his time being back here in Kansas City and getting ready for this game and just getting his body ready for yet another postseason round of play, my conversation with Christian Bishop. 
It's a general question folks ask this time of year when you've played 36 ball games and seasons been going on for several months and all the offseason. First and foremost, physically, yeah. how do you feel? I mean, I feel pretty good. I feel like all summer we know we've been working uh, to this direction. And so just keeping my body in shape and maintaining what I got going on. So I'm feeling good. I'm ready to play. Do you have to do any specific maintenance things other than what uh, uh, John has you guys going through for, for conditioning and in the training and things and nutrition and stuff like Do you have to do anything different or is it the same routine that goes on even since going back to October? Yeah. So for me, you know, I just kind of been working on like discipline and stuff. And so I'd be taking like a full like polar plunge, getting the ice bath neck deep for five minutes. I do that every single day. And then also just whether it's ice on my knees after practice, the Norman Tech boots, and just little extra things like stretching or whatever it may be. So I use that to keep my body going. And then uh, one other thing I like to do is like I've been doing this, uh, like not a, not a tempo run, but like, you know, a little tempo bike ride. And so I just extra 10, 15 minutes to keep my condition and I'll make sure I don't get out of shape. I got to yeah, I, I gotta ask you about the polar plunge. Yeah. Do you like that? I don't like it at all. So I've actually never taken an ice bath. Like I took one my freshman year and I'm like, never again. I'm good. I haven't taken one for like four years now. And so, you know, I just want to work on discipline. And so that's why I started doing it every day. And so it's been super beneficial. I feel great, feel healthy, and uh, I feel way better, honestly, doing it. So, I, I sort of say it makes yeah. you feel better after you get done? Yeah. Once I'm out of there, once when I'm in there, my body be going in shock. I'm shaking. My body comes out super red. But once I get going back, I'm good. Let me get your thoughts on it. So much has been said about how this team is so together, so tight. When did you first start seeing that happen with this group? You know, I feel like it's starting the summer. Uh, there's not a lot of teams that you have players like everybody can mesh. You know, there's usually like different cliques. We don't have that over here. You know, we may have some older guys and some younger guys, but I mean, that's no different than anything. And so everybody has some type of relationship on a team. And I feel like that builds our camaraderie. Was there any point that you can remember where it was coming to you like, this could be really special. This group of guys is really tight-knit. Yeah, I mean, honestly, whenever that adversity struck in the middle of the season, uh, I think everybody really came together, and you know, like, this is our team now, and so we've just taken the identity on and following RT's lead. It's just been super beneficial to the program. I have to ask you about being back in your hometown area. I know you got a lot of questions yeah. about it being from Lee Summit. First of all, for, for Longhorn fans who don't know how close Lee Summit is, to the T-Mobile Center. How far is it? It was like 20, 25 minutes. Yep. And, and how many how many friends and family did you have during the Big 12 tournament? I had at least like 20 every single game. So they, they come out and support me. So I got to do my part and sh uh, show out in front of them. But it's great that they're able to come and show love. Is it going to be the same for this? I know NCAA tournament's different with tickets. Yeah. But, but, I mean, are you going to have a, another good family contingent? Oh, yeah. Everybody's been hitting me up talking about they're trying to come to the game. So I'm doing the best I can. So if any of you guys are listening, I love y'all. I'm sorry I couldn't get you tickets. But I'm going to get most of you guys. So we're going to see. Uh, what? does it mean to you personally to get a chance to play here again and now you win two games, then you get to go to the Final Four. So what, what does it mean to you to play in front of the hometown fans here with so much at stake? Man, you can't you can't write the script any other way. You know, a lot of people don't get an opportunity their last season to uh, win a championship in their city, and let alone come back for a Sweet 16. And so I'm just blessed to be in this situation. Uh, you know, I just try to keep my head on straight and take care of my part of this bargain and uh, just let the journey continue. Uh, I've heard Xavier kind of compared to a, a type of a version like Kansas with the yeah. physical guys get in and out can shoot the threes is, is that kind of your impression what really strikes you about them yeah you know they got tons of players top to bottom uh their starting five is phenomenal and they also got other great players off the bench well coach team and uh you know they play hard they're tough uh tough they shoot the ball well and move around well but i mean so do we and so we just have to do what we do you know apply some pressure and uh focus on our game plan and so we'll be prepared have you guys asked rt about you know, his former player with Sule Boom, you know, playing yeah. for Xavier. No, nah, he's definitely talked about that a little bit. So um, talked very highly about him. And so that we know we got to be on point when we're guarding him. And so we just got to be ready for him. Uh, talking about Sule Boom, that's uh, the uh, grad transfer from Oakland, California. He's our leading scorer. He averages 16.5 points per game. He's the guy who played for Rodney Terry at UTEP. And I think Rodney will tell you, and, and, and I'm sure he'll be asked about it in the news conference. Put it this way. I mentioned this last week. I don't normally ask too many questions in the news conference because I get the opportunity to visit with the head coach. Uh, but 
if nobody asks him about it, and I'm sure he will be, but if nobody asks him about Sule Boom, I will uh, because uh, this is a guy who's shooting 41% from three-point range, a 6'3 guard. He's an 87% free throw shooter who's hit 151 out of 174 free throws uh, this season. Uh, and I think Rodney will say if he was asked, uh, a, a, if he's asked about the news conference, and he will be, like I said, one way or another, either somebody else will ask him or I will. But uh, I think he will mention that he tried to get him to transfer to Texas, but he had already made his decision to go to Xavier. Uh, and so so that was the deal with that. But uh, anyway, that's um, – uh, that's uh, my conversation with Christian Bishop. And it'll be, if you missed any part of it, uh, certainly it'll be on our pi- our podcast page at hornfm.com. All right, coming up, it'll be time for Inconceivable, as it uh, always is around this time of the morning. Hey, I also want to remind folks that the Golf Tour of Central Texas, powered by Callahan's General Store, is back this month. We're shining the spotlight on Austin Country Club. Uh, It's a really cool story about Austin Country Club. I found this out years ago. It was founded in 1899, one of the oldest existing clubs in Texas, home to one of the greatest golf instructors who ever lived, of course, Harvey Pinnock, and uh, and the newest incarnation of Austin Country Club, of course, is, is home of the 2023 Dell Match Play that's happening through the weekend. The original Austin Country Club is where Hancock is right now, at least... That was nine holes of it. There were nine other holes that extended across what would be Red River to where basically the Hancock HEB is, where that shopping center is. That was all part of the original Austin Country Club. Then, of course, it moved out on Riverside, and then I believe in uh, like in 1949 and then in 1984 moved uh, to where it currently is there, out there by Davenport down uh, by Lake Austin. So it's in addition to being the home of the 2023 Dell Match Play that happens throughout the weekend. You can take a tour with Aaron Hogan and our local golf pro, Omar Uresti. They'll take in a few holes. They'll admire the Austin skyline and take a deep dive in Austin Country Club. So visit hornfm.com and click on the Golf Tour of Central Texas tab. And uh, thanks to Callahan's General Store for their support as well. It's the Golf Tour of Central Texas, powered by Callahan's General Store. And coming up, we'll have Inconceivable next with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Got several items on the inconceivable. First of all, we have a fast food uh, update for you. It's been uh, documented now that that Cam is a uh, fast food aficionado as well. I've heard you talk about McDonald's. Where do you stand with Wendy's? Ooh, um, cannot go against the four for four. I'm sorry, cannot go against what? The four for four. You ever had that? Oh, the four for four. Yeah, yeah. That that. What, what is it like? It's a, a what? A junior. Cheeseburger and some chicken nuggets, nuggets and yeah. fries and a drink, yeah, something like much. that. Or the biggie bag, which is like five bucks. Which- okay, all right. So let me ask you this. Um, McDonald's fan that you are, did you ever go for their snack wraps when they had those? Oh, wow. Did you like yeah, those? Yeah, I used to have the honey mustard one. <coughs> okay, so... The snack wraps were a part of the McDonald's menu, and they've gone away. Mm-hmm. And now Wendy's has Ooh. picked them up. So if you liked the snack wraps at McDonald's, believe it or not, Wendy's is going to do the snack wrap. So it uh, it's beginning next week. Uh, they are adding a – see if this appeals to you. A new grilled chicken ranch wrap. Uh, Dice grilled chicken, shredded cheddar cheese, romaine lettuce, ranch sauce, warm tortilla wrap, uh, $6.29. Uh, are you yes. good with that? Okay. Very interested. Uh, okay. They, they say that the wrap is slightly different from the McDonald's version. Their global chief marketing officer, Carl Laredo, said it's slightly different because they didn't, quote, didn't want to mess around with a McBland snack wrap dupe. 
is what he said. He said grilled chicken is used in place of the crispy chicken that was in the McDonald's wrap because he said Wendy's fans are looking for lighter and more portable menu items. So if you liked the wrap over at McDonald's, Wendy says, we've got one and it's better. So we'll see uh, about that. Uh, Since we're on the food topic, did you hear about the guy – who was suing Buffalo Wild Wings and said that what they said, that they're boneless wings, is um, is deceptive trade practice. The boneless wings are actually made of chicken breast, which he says amounts to deceptive marketing. This is one guy that's suing them for their advertising. Well, they did a little more digging about this dude. Come to find out, that's kind of his jam is suing restaurants and companies he uh is suing three other companies over the marketing of their products uh and his um his name well they've got his last oh amon hallam amon hallam filed a class action lawsuit against buffalo wild wings about 10 days ago said the buff the boneless wings are actually made of chicken breast Turns out, court records show, he's also filed suits against Colgate Palmolive, the makers of Tom's Wicked Fresh Mouthwash, which he claims is not as natural as advertised. He also filed a similar suit against Kind, you know, the, the, the bars, the fiber bars, the Kind bars. He argues that the high-in-fiber label on their granola is misleading and in a since-dismissed case against the makers of of Hefty's recycling bags, he argued that the bags are not actually recyclable. So <laughs> this guy's made it his business to sue companies over what he says is false advertising. An attorney said that these cases may be more annoying than productive for consumer advocacy. And another attorney questioned whether he'd really suffered real danger damages in this uh, cla- in these class action lawsuits. So that's just an update over the dude suing Buffalo Wild Wings. Apparently he is. Uh, sued some other folks as well. What over, was his name, uh, Craig? Over, Eamon Holland? Halem. Halem. Uh, uh, yeah, H-A-I-L-I-M, I guess. Would that go uh-huh. with uh, Rod's list of names that are sketch figures? Shady names? Shady names. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, that might be his his uh, shady name thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it, it's not a bad idea. Uh, okay. Um, there's, a, there's a story out of New Zealand. I'm going to turn this back to sports here. Um, Olympic distance runner from New Zealand, Zane Robertson, has received an eight-year ban after failing a drug test and tampering with the doping control process, according to the Sports Tribunal of New Zealand. They announced this yesterday. Now, Robertson is the New Zealand record holder in the marathon, the half marathon, and the road 10K. Now, he tested positive for EPO, and, and that was at a race back in May in Manchester. Okay, EPO, as we know, it's a hormone naturally produced in the kidneys, which controls the formation of red blood cells. And when it's administered to athletes, it can increase the amount of oxygen delivered to the muscles that improves recovery and endurance. Robertson is 33 years of age. Now, he was given a four-year ban for the positive test, but he was also given an additional four years after the sports tribunal ruled that he sought to subvert the doping control process. How did he do this? Well, according to the tribunal judgment, Robertson claimed as part of his defense that he had attended a medical facility in Kenya, and when he went there, he said he went to get a COVID-19 vaccine, and even though he was treated for COVID-19, he claimed it involved the administration of EPO. Uh, He provided sworn affidavits from Kenyan doctors, hospital notes, a hospital report, and a witness statement from a Kenyan detective to support his claims, arguing that there was no fault or negligence on his part. However, Drug-Free Sport New Zealand, DFSNZ, that's the party opposing Robertson during this tribunal, highlighted what they called clinical implausibility of the treatment he received. By the way, clinical implausibility uh, played at South by Southwest last week in the name of a band there. According to the judgment, DFSNNZ uh, presented evidence at the tribunal that he had not attended the facility on the alleged date 
and of uh, the two doctors that Robertson had said treated him. One was a lab technician. The other wasn't even employed at the facility. So, yeah, even though it rolls back to COVID, it doesn't roll back to COVID in this case, according to what they're saying. That That's not the case. And, and, and really, after all, in the final analysis, you got to know what you're putting in your body or what someone else is putting in your body. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was always the argument, you know, with Barry Bonds, right? If you, if if Greg Anderson is going to put the the clear and the cream on, you know what's in the clear and the cream, right? So, um, finally, I got one other story. Uh, I, I think this belongs in inconceivable. Did you hear about the basket last night in the Mavericks Warriors game? Yes. Did you hear about this? Uh, so, the Warriors. Uh, beat the Mavericks last night in Dallas, 127-125. The Warriors are up. The Warriors are up 88-87 near the end of the third quarter. Ball goes out of bounds. Jason Kidd calls a timeout. Both teams thought the referee signaled it was their ball. Both sets of players return to the floor on opposite sides of the court. They hand the ball to Jordan Poole. He inbounds to Kayvon Looney. He goes, slams it in. There's only Warrior players around. Kid was looking like amused by the whole deal. And then they said, no, 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 it counts. And then they were upset. Cuban said, for those wondering about the play with a minute 54 to go in the third, let me explain what happened. The ref called Mavericks ball. The announcer announced it. Then there was a timeout. During the timeout, the official changed the call and never told us. Then when we, they saw us line up as if it were our ball, he just gave the ball to the Warriors, never said a word to us. They got an easy basket. He called it the worst non, uh, worst officiating non-call mistake possibly in the history of the NBA. All they had to do was tell us, and they didn't. The crew chief, Sean Wright, said initially on the floor, the original signal was, in fact, Golden State, as this can be seen on video. There's a second signal, but that signal is for a mandatory timeout that was due to the Mavericks. So... Um, then, of course, with less than 10 seconds, Luka Doncic said he was fouled by Draymond Green. Once he didn't get the call, he made a <clears throat> a gesture uh, implying that there was money between his fingers. Uh, Cuban has uh, protested the game. Um, ah, life in the NBA, which can sometimes be inconceivable. Just can be. All right. There's our inconceivable for uh, – today's program. Coming up, we'll uh, visit with Ty Harrington, uh, our uh, baseball broadcast analyst, also broadcast analyst on the Texas State telecast on ESPN+. And uh, he'll join us to talk some college baseball. We'll still continue, obviously, with the theme about Longhorn basketball up here in Kansas City, where the Sweet 16 for the Longhorns, the matchup with Xavier, is tomorrow night at eh, 8.45 to 9 o'clock, right in there. But you'll hear it right here on The Horn.